episode seven of Betfair's Cheltenham Rawcast, where we will be discussing the Triumph Hurdle, the Champion Bumper, the Cross Country and the Fox Hunters. So as random a mix as you could imagine. And I will be discussing these races in the company of our usual team of Daryl Carter and Dan Barber. So Daryl, great to have you back on with us again. We've got the weights for the handicaps today. I know we discussed the handicaps last week, but any updates for us on horses you'd be happy with or abandoning now that we have the weights? Oh, I'm so excited. It's, it's such a <laughs> such a good day when these weights come out. Um, no, no, no. I see his state man got a mark of 141, so I was pretty happy with that, considering I think he's a 150 horse. Um, not, not really. I don't really work too much just on marks alone. Um, I sort of, you sort of know roughly what they're going to get. If You know, you can sort of work it out roughly. Um, but state man is just the one. I just need to know where he's going now. I'm hoping it's the Martin Pipe. So, yeah, exciting. It's been an exciting day. Yeah, I, I was wondering to see what you were what you were going to come up with then, really, with any of these weights. Sort of trying to track your social media to see what you cited. And Stateman was the one I was, yeah, very interested in then. And Dan, obviously, great to get your opinion then as way of introduction to episode seven here with the handicap weights today. Anything that catches your eye? Uh, just pick up on a horse we mentioned in the last show, um, Petit on air. It looks like in the shape of the race, he's going to be top weight now because a three or four above him. All look highly likely to go to the Triumph. Knight salutes one of them, of course. Fedor's another. Um, so he'd be top weight, but I think he's a big uh, potential class edge on a lot of them. Except everybody tells us that none of them can beat Gaelic Warrior anyway. So yeah. maybe Petit on air can finish a good second to the to the Mullins block. Oh, there was a yeah. good. There was a. I did see that they think about claiming seven offside of Burley of one five five. Claiming seven. Ah, okay. That would be interesting. Who's yeah, the yeah. chosen one? Who's the chosen jockey? I think, think Rob James, I see mentioned. He has right, been so, getting okay. plenty this season, hasn't he, since his return? So that, that would make sense. And there's the horse that's been sort of intersecting all, a fair amount of our shows, really, on this broadcast. Yeah. Aside of Burley, trying to figure out where he's going to go, trying to figure out the ploy. Now, if he's going to get seven-pound claimer, yeah. Stay tuned to find out more then of that. And on next week's show, where we'll be discussing or answering, trying to, your questions as well that you're going to be signing in for and sending in to us. So unfortunately, we are without Bryony Frost uh, again then this week in the main body of the show. But Alan Conway was able to catch up with her, though, of course, she had a very busy day today at Leicester itself. So riding out again then in the morning. So she's been very busy. But Alan Conway from Betfair has been able to catch up with Bryony. I'm delighted once again to be joined by Betfair Ambassador Bryony Frost. Bryony, how are you keeping? Good. Yeah, no, not too bad. Um, we got we got wet mornings still going on. The rain seems to not be ceasing, that's for sure. So um, the waterproofs are still on and uh, yeah, we're just, just mooching away at the moment. Good stuff. And the countdown to Cheltenham is, is really on now, isn't it? We're getting into kind of single digit days ahead of, ahead of the festival. How are the, the excitement levels? Yeah, it's it's great, you know, and and, and some some people kind of boohoo how uh, how uh, long you know it is is when we start hyping up Cheltenham, but I I think like it's it's one of the pinnacles of our our season. It's it's the festival, um, and I I think we get to see our elite athletes come and um, perform and take on each other. So I think it's great that we you know we get behind it social media papers news gets all behind it and we start talking about it and and yeah getting getting yourselves excited for a jockey it's 
it's it's it's a bit of a two and eight because you've still got a lot of rides, you've still got a lot of miles and obstacles to jump between here and there, and you know you're always wishing that you know for for one of our wins is is to get there in one piece so you can ride, um, you know which sometimes doesn't doesn't cross too many minds. You know our our heads are like look, we just you know if we get there then then we're good to go. So um, yeah, a couple couple more days in between here and there, but yeah, looking forward to it. And fingers crossed you get there get there in one piece now. Unfortunately, I'm going to age you slightly now. If I were to say the words <laughs> Pasher de Polder and 2017 <laughs> to you, what's the um what what what's the first image or memory that, that jumps to mind for you? Uh, a, a big smile and um seeing Hayden at the top of the hill. He was the first first person to, to really get to me and I remember him throwing his arms around me and nearly pulling me off, Pasha. Um that was that that little bubble there um as as memories go i mean you know i had i had to i had to watch him with uh victoria and always dreamt of him um you know because he was he was one of the horses that that paul it was a sort of carrot on the end of the stick like oh you could ride him one day you know um and he was the biggest gent and that you could ever come across and with andy stewart owning him um you know to ride for for Andy was a complete pleasure um and for for the horses that he owned as well so yeah yeah no just I remember walking down the chute and dad and Hayden came out with me to to walk the course and uh you know it was just blowing my mind and Hayden said you know one thing you must do be is take it all in don't get wrapped up in just your race, you know, look at the crowd, look up at the stands, hear the roar, things like this, you know, actually take it in. I remember being, we got to the top of the hill and we stopped there for a second and uh, dad went, B, if you're still going well here, you'll have a hell of a chance. And I just remember getting covered in goosebumps at that point, being, please, can we get to this point just just with, with Pash going so well. And the year before, I rode a horse called Current Event, and I completely messed it up. Uh, it all got to me, and I missed the start. Because uh, the festival, you get down there, with, like it seems like no time. There's hardly any time to get your girth checked. You know, sometimes you get down to start, and the starts would be like, oh, you got three minutes, you know, chill out. Whereas the festival, you're down, you turn, you're gone. Um, and I remember being completely caught out. So I was like, I must not mess this up, B. Um, and I got down to the start, and I saw Will Biddick, and I was like, he won't miss a start. And I knew he wanted to be forward, so I stuck to his tail. Um, like and we were like glue. Like, he won't mess this up. Like, he's, Will knows what he's doing. And uh, and we got a perfect jump off. The flag went down, and I never left the rail. Um, and uh, I, I remember running the rail even over the last two. And there was a moment there I thought I should come out. But I thought, no, 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 stay down here. We've got, we've got the space. And Pasha was so big and so assured of himself that you know you could barge your way through any gap you wanted and you know jumping the last and heading up the hill it was it was you know drive for all we're worth and i mean he did it himself really you know <laughs> I, was, I was just there for the ride um and like i say seeing Hayden at the top of the hill and and then dad and then coming back in the paddock just there on the entrance mum in tears it was just a moment where i uh, just you know i would have never in in my wildest dreams, imagination, you know, that I would have said I'd one be able to ride at the Cheltenham Festival and then two win and and it was a big the 
massive moment for me was was actually because I got to join Hayden and Dad. They both won at the festival, and mm. me as a little girl trying to keep up with Hayden and Dad my whole life um, to actually be able to achieve something they did, which I thought I would never be able to, was it's actually still probably one of my most proudest moments of my whole career, and it, it was probably a moment that I actually went. That was awesome, and for I will forever be thankful to to Pasha, Andy, and and Paul for that because that yeah, as I say, in a moment in life, that was that was a moment. Yeah, it was it, it, it was brilliant. Now, and I, I suppose when you talk to jockeys as well, they they always talk about you know when you cross the line, and there's a kind of almost a sense of of, of disbelief that they've that that they've won a challenge. Did you find that, or was it just a complete shock or elation, <laughs> or what, what what was your feelings when you when you crossed the line? Yeah, do you know, do you know that those. Those moments when you you do cross the line, it's 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 actually for me sometimes it's a relief. I've done my job properly. I haven't failed my horse. I haven't failed my trainer, my owner. I haven't failed anyone who's who's been behind me. Um, and I've done my job to the very best. Uh, you know that that to me is 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 that sort of feeling. As soon as I, I cross the line, I've done my job right, and then I can take satisfaction and in it. And then you get buzzed because the world floods in like a waterfall and you're at the bottom of it being hit by the water. Um, it, you know, the people, the enthusiasm, the joy. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's to win to win any race is, is an accomplishment. Um, but to win at the festival uh, is you're the best of the best on the day. And that is nothing can take that away from you. Yeah, and in terms of of the amateur status, how how important is is it to keep a race like that at the festival? You know, I mean, there's always talk about trying to ex- expand the program as well, but it's it, from the outside, it would seem particularly crucial that the amateur element is is kept, you know, as close to the top at Cheltenham. No, I mean, it's I, got, I could be wrong, but it's still got the old. I think it's the oldest trophy. It's the Fox Hunter Trophy. It's the original. You know, and that just yeah. says what kind of landmark race it is. The Fox Hunters is is the Gold Cup uh, for amateur riders, and for me, it gave me a platform and a step to go forward. Um, and and like I say, it still holds one of my my dearest moments. Um, so it just shows you what that that race is. And and uh, to me, I think it's extremely important. I think uh, you know, as young you know jockeys and and also as as you know we we call them amateurs but a lot of these amateur riders out there are are pure professionals um you know they 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 ride multiple winners every weekend on the point to point circuits and in island in bumpers and you know you you know you just yes okay we, you know it's classified as an amateur race but it's it's in it's it's in a league of its own there and um and also just there's, there's fantastic stories behind it too. There's owner ridden horses too. They, you know, they own their horses and they, they're doing it as a hobby. So to be able to come and race um, in front of the crowd on a track like Cheltenham in a race like the Fox Hunters or the Commuter, it's it's a big thing. Um, and I, I personally, I think it's very important to have those opportunities out there. Speaking of like amateur owners and riders, I know one person and, in David Maxwell, but he has a couple of horses with Paul as well that hopefully be be targeted. That it'd be a brilliant story, wouldn't it, for for David? I suppose if you if you were able to get his his head in front in the, in the Fox Hunters. Ah, David is a, he's an incredible person. He's extremely down to earth, um, and you know 
you know, he's uh, just yeah one of the nicest people you can meet. And, you know, his his writing has come on so far since I've started to know of him with the horses in the yard. And he's given them some, like, awesome rides. The other day, Chantou ran Font well. He made it all, and he, and he kept moving it forward, and he, and he rode it, you know, the timing, the pace was, was perfect. Um, but, you know, uh, I know he's, I actually rode Cat Tiger this morning, who's in fine form at Nichols's. Um, and uh, so he's got some lovely horses, and um, he does really well with them. So, you know, he just, yeah, it's, uh, he's, yeah, perfect. It'll be great. Hopefully, he's able to to come away with a victory now. And we've discussed a number of races on the on the podcast this week. Now, Willie Mullins may not win the the Fox Hundreds, but it'd be, it'd be hard to fathom if he doesn't come away with um a win in the in the Champion Bumper. He's um he's the first five of the six in the betting. And I know speaking to Dan, Kate, and Daryl, we were having a, a spread of where the English m- might finish. Now, I think we we stopped about ten or eleven. But um, as far as the the, the bumper crop. <laughs> This year, Brian, has um has anything really stood out for you, or have you been kind of really impressed by by anything both on both sides of, of the RSC? Uh, well, yes, I mean, I mean, when we frankly speak, the the English bumper horses um, to what we've seen in the Irish bumper horses, um, ooh, I doubt a candle will be able to be held to the Irish horses uh, from the English side. Um, I, you know, we've got another uh, awesome clash that I, I'd say everybody is looking forward to, um, even if you're not riding in the bumper, I think, to watch Fasal Vega and American Mike take each other on. Um, you know, they're, they're, two, they're two big players there that um, are going to come hopefully up the hill and uh, together and we'll see. But that's not just saying just because you've got the two there, that's not saying you've got some wonderful young horses coming in behind them with an extreme amount of talent just because the front two have been talked about and uh the clash is on so it's it's actually i'd say it's probably going to be one of the most exciting races um that will will come of the week um especially you know bumpers as well there there are young horses coming through there are future in racing so to see the best of the best all accumulate into one race, you've got to be excited because that's our future. That's where we're going forward. So Yeah. And I suppose temperament within a bumper horse is, is probably very key, is it? Because it, it is a stage like no other, isn't it, at Cheltenham as well. So you do have to have a horse that's kind of mentally strong as well as being kind of physically fit as well to be able to cope with, with the various different noises and, and the atmosphere of the day. Quite right. I mean, even, you know, it can change a quiet horse into into one that's getting fizzy. Um, it really depends on uh, how they, they take their their day as well, you know. Um, they're, they're the last race of the day, so they're, they're also there all day here in the crowd too. So it really, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, a, big, it's a big thing for a young horse. Um, you know, if we're talking about Frode, he comes alive on the big stage because he just, he's like a sponge. He absorbs people's cheers and uh, loves it. Um, whereas some horses, they play, you know, they, they, you'll see them wearing a red hood um, and in the hood, the ears um, have like a sort of rubber base to them. So it sort of numbs out the, the uh, sound around them. Um, and some can wear earplugs because uh, it's more noise than anything that can, that can get a horse 
um, excited sometimes. Um, so sometimes they leave the ear earplugs in the whole time. Sometimes they'll take them out at the start. The hoods can come off at the start if they're red. If they're black, they keep them on all the time. It's just a way of settling them. But uh, yeah, it will. You know, you won't know until you're there. That's that's the answer to that one. That's it now, and hopefully it will be a great race, as you said now. And another race we we talked about was the cross country now. And a little birdie told me that although you haven't ridden <laughs> in the in, in the cross country, Brian, you have an experience of of what it's like to to ride around there, albeit not in a a full blooded uh, race at the Cheltenham Festival. Is that true? Yeah, well, I could get myself into trouble here. Cheltenham <laughs> officials will come after me. So I think I was about fourteen. Could have been younger. I, I will say fourteen. You're meant to be 16, um, so we'll put that one out there. Now, Hayden was riding uh, one of Dad's horses in the cross-country. Now, for a horse who's never run in the cross-country race, he has to go and show that he can go through the cheese grater, the big hedge, the rail, the railways there, um, just, you know, just a few to mention, um, the post and rail. So we all went up. Dad was riding uh, homebred and I got to ride a huge homebred as well. He's about 17 hands. You can imagine that made me look a lot younger too, but no, regardless. And the three of us turned up and yeah, I kind of, I was hiding behind Dad and Hayden as we were walking out there chatting to the ground staff and stuff. And I was like trying to be as inconspicuous as possible um, on my 17 hands big bay horse. And <laughs> so we got out onto the track and the best fun ever like i got i went through the cheese grazer up down the bank and then I, I jumped the water jump i jumped the huge hedge um over the post and rail it's just the best fun gallivanting around with dad and hayden and there's a cool picture got a cool picture of me and hayden upsides over the big hedge um and we're identical like you can't tear us apart so it just shows you that dad taught us both like our styles are uh like you couldn't have yeah you couldn't have told but um yeah so anyway and i didn't get caught which was great and i didn't which fall off good. which was even better <laughs> um but i still haven't managed to find myself a horse a partner in in a cross-country race yet so um i'm longing for the day because i i just would i just would get such a buzz i mean obviously you need a good partner i don't think it's much of a buzz if you've if, you, if you've got a horse that's uh <laughs> maybe not so short of his feet but if you've got a short-footed horse i'd say it's the best buzz you can get and I'm one, one horse is definitely sure for is Tiger Roll, isn't he? he? Um, I know he's well. He's due to retire, I think, after after this race in the, at Cheltenham. But it, it'd be a remarkable story, wouldn't it? And a, a fitting um, a fitting end to a to a brilliant career if he were to to win again. Ah, oh, he's. I mean, his cabinet of trophies, you know, is just glistening. And and yeah, he he comes alive on that that sort of race, you know. Um, so I think he 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 gets rather bored of the plain old normal uh, national hunt fences. So, um, yeah, you know, let's you know, we'll we'll all be watching him, um, and seeing if if he can come up the hill, um, in wonderful isolation like he has done before. And and if that is the moment he he hangs up his aluminium plates then he will get the biggest cheer coming down the chute i'd say well deserved retirement um Brian, it's always lovely to talk to you hard to believe we're on week seven of the podcast and we're coming to our, <laughs> our last show next week so we'll, we'll hopefully chat to you next week and best of luck for the, the rest of the week ahead great thank you Great to hear from Bryony again then. And we will begin our racing chat in itself. Well, we're going to be starting with the Triumph Hurdle. And this year's race looks a very likeable contest where there's intertwining form between the Irish horses at the head of the betting. And each of those horses looks hugely talented. 
So the betting currently reads as Vaughan as the seven to four favourite, Pie Piper at two to one, Fildor at thirteen to two, Doctor Parnassus as the first of the British horses uh, at twelve to one. Then it's back to the Irish with El uh, Illatate no Illatat Tonks. There you go <laughs> at twelve to one. Got there in the end. Night Salute twelve to one, Iker Allen at fourteen to one, Porticello at fourteen to one, and at sixteen to one bar. So Daryl, starting with you, please. Are the Irish going to boss this year's triumph? Yeah, absolutely. They're miles ahead of the English. I've been saying it all season. Um, absolutely miles ahead of them. Uh, I see. I, do you know what I didn't want? To, I didn't want to say this, but I will. I see Milton Harris right having a little bit of a dig at people analysing races uh, and and sort of putting a question mark over his night salute. Now, night salute's done absolutely nothing wrong, but mm-hmm. he's just not beating the level of quality of opponents that that would you know in a usual year put him towards the top of the market, in my opinion. He, look, he's a lovely horse. It, it, go, they go there with every single chance with him. But you, you've got to analyse these horses in some sort of way and you've got to compare them against other horses. It doesn't mean we dislike Night Salute or any other horse for that matter. But, but you just have a look at what he, what he's achieved in his last three runs. I mean, his Cheltenham Triumph Hurdle trial recorded an RPR of 114. That's £12 off the lowest recorded in the last 10 years. £31 off the highest recorded in the last 10 years and, and 21 pounds off the average. So, you know, these horses are improving all season. So you give him the benefit of doubt. He goes to Doncaster. Everything was apparently wrong for him that day. Recalls the second lowest RPR in the last 10 years in that race. Then his Kempton run latest, <clears throat> excuse me, was the, again, the second lowest RPR in the last 10 years of that race. So, you know, it's not us knocking the horse. It's the figures that he's recording. It's just simply not up to scratch. And it's, been like that throughout the whole of the season for the British juveniles. I think they got a mammoth task trying to take on Vauban. I think he's special. I think what he did in the spring juvenile hurdle over in Ireland at Leopardstown was just remarkable, really. He did a lot wrong that day, jumped slightly out to his right. He was very keen early on. He missed a couple of hurdles. But when push came to shove and he was just asked by minimal urgence of the jockey, the way he bypassed those horses coming around that bend and then slickly got to the front in the straight. He jumped straight as an arrow under pressure. He won going away. Willie Mullins has said he's got special plans for this horse or bigger plans for this horse. I think he could be running the champion hurdle next year. I actually think he'll go off odds on for this. I think he's I think he's very, very good. And I think the weight of money on the day will definitely uh, definitely be telling. Oh, so Daryl is very keen then on Bobon, and especially then at his current price of seven to four, then if you think that the money is going to absolutely pile into him then, on the day or nearing the triumph hurdle in itself. Dan, would you be of a similar opinion really about the Irish horses? I mean, that intertwining form line as well, but Bourne, High Piper has beaten him. Is there any way you can see that form being upheld then with Bourbon? Uh, well, we've only got one piece of evidence to go on to compare the British and the Irish, and that was Pied Piper. Absolutely, I sounded like Daryl then, Pied Piper. Who was a, <laughs> you're rubbing off on me, mate. Um, <laughs> uh, he absolutely snotted in inverted commas some of the best that the British could could summon up at Cheltenham on trials day. Um, but I think my overriding view of the race is Vauban's probably the fastest horse, but I do think this is one race that is going to be more influenced by ground and potential weather forecasts more than others, really, because I do think there's quite a big swing from goodish ground to, to soft ground. For instance, I've done some early Michael Fish work, John Ketley, whichever, whoever your favourite weatherman is. And <laughs> there's rain a few days this week 
as we speak. And they forecast rain on four of the five days from the 10th up until the, the 12th. So to the 13th, sorry. So there is rain knocking around. Um, if they got more than expected, I do think Porticello would emerge as the strongest candidate from Britain because he just looks like a staying type that will be well suited. Well, he's already shown he's very well suited by the mud. He powered away in that Haydock race. But I do think the prospect of softer ground gives Fedor a chance against Vauban. I actually think the value lies with him now. Vauban ran at heavy ground against Pied Piper and was turned over on his hurdling debut. That probably wasn't his true running. On front, in France, he was kept to ground that was no worse than good to soft. And I just thought he was a superior animal in terms of finishing speed um, when they met at the Dublin Racing Festival. What I absolutely loved about Fedor was his response to pressure, though. His head carriage was so gallant. His head was down. He was trying his backside off. And I do think on softer ground for a horse that, let's, let's have it right, I mean, he had only one run on the flat compared to Vauban's four, so he's unexposed generally. He won his first three starts over hurdles, was pressed into probably going near the bottom of himself uh, only once. That was the day when he was nearly caught out by by no Mead's horse. But then he kicked him out of the way next time. And I thought he'd, there's a potential that he learns quite a bit from being in a proper race. And I do think softer ground, testing stamina more, for a horse that's from the family of a Plutard who's going to be favourite for a Gold Cup, um, definitely means that the gap between them, in my opinion, won't be as great. But that is conditional dep- dependent, of course. Yeah, with the long with the long range forecast, then I would have gone Lucy Verasami to be honest. But yeah, I'm for my for my so weather I. person. But uh, <laughs> and anyway, take it how whichever person that you want then. But that's fascinating to see if the rain does come on the new course then in the triumph. And that was sort of the angle I was taking with Bildor there. I love his profile for this. I just think he is such a stayer. I mean, Gornelli was saying that himself, wasn't he? That at the time, it looked the potential that Fyodor may be the one to go for the triumph from Pied Piper for the Supreme earlier on in the season when he was talking about the difference between their speeds. So um, that would be really interesting. And I am also on the Fyodor bandwagon at that price. So all is okay with you, lads. We're going to move on to the champion bumper where... The Irish are once again likely to destroy the British and in particular Willie Mullins because the betting reads as follows. Fatal Vega at 10 to 11, American Mike at 11 to 4, Redemption Day at 6 to 1, Mercury at 8 to 1, James's Gate at 10 to 1, Madman's Game at 16 to 1 and it is 20 to 1 bar. So yes, you heard me right. Five of the top six in the champion bumper market are trained by Willie Mullins. Just American Mike out of those aforementioned names that isn't trained by him and is, of course, with Gordon Elliott. So, Dan, how do you sort these bumper horses? I saw it by putting a line through the British ones first, because <laughs> the only horse I thought had any pretensions to make it, his presence felt at the end of this race was authorised speed for Gary Moore, and he got beaten at Newbury subsequently. The runner-up, Rosie Redmond set to go for this. Milton Harris, who's got a triumph candidate who we just discussed in Night Salute. And she's going to be getting bags of weight as a four-year-old filly. So she's going to get the allowances, but I just don't think she's got anything like the same scope and probably nowhere near the same ability as some of the Irish ones. One thing I always quite like to stress um, pre-Cheltenham is there are certain horses have had the opportunity to post bigger figures. They've run in graded races. In some of the... If you go, there's an article David Johnson's put up on the Sporting Life today, my flat um, colleague at Timeform, saying about how 
horses that are running handicaps prior to the Supreme, say winning Betfair hurdles or going close in Betfair hurdles, have often just come up short. They look like they've got a compelling chance on paper, but that's because they've had the opportunity to to raise their profile with a with a handicap win off a high mark. Whereas a lot of the others just aren't being seen to best advantage in these smaller field races. So I think there's a big element of that in this champion bumper. And the one who's had the opportunity is Fasel Vega. It, we discussed him at the time earlier in the in the series and he was devastatingly good opened right up um 12 length winning margin over paul nolan's runner-up who's since gone on to finish second to a horse we'll discuss in a second um but yeah a horse who i really like as we know is redemption day and he hasn't had the chance to really show his true worth yet it's not beyond the realms that redemption day could have done to that field at, uh, in the dublin racing festival what Fasil, Ve- Fasil Vega did to that field at the Dublin Racing Festival. It was. Rem- I-, I keep watching it back. I know people say that as cliche, but I genuinely have watched it back two or three times in recent days. It's re- a remarkable debut performance. He's he's basically still pulling as he passes the line. It's heavy ground. He's still absolutely powering away. And I say the horse that he beat, who was second, has since lowered the colours of the runner-up to Fasel Vega. Now I know if you go straight through them, is six or seven lengths to find. But Redemption Day could have won by an extra six or seven, if he'd have been asked for an effort. He didn't come off the bridle. So I think he's very exciting. And visually, he was the most impressive bumper horse I've seen all season on his debut. And so just because Fasal Vegas come out and done something a bit special since, the market's reacted. And I think we're getting a potentially generous price about a very exciting horse in Redemption Day. Yeah, Darrell, I think that Dan makes a really fair point there about Redemption Day, because I, I was watching Nathan on Sunday as we record now with Music Drive overturning Sandor Clegane there on Sunday and with those intertwining form lines. I mean, in the bumper sphere, are we maybe overplaying intertwining form lines at this inexperienced level or do you want, is it something that you really want to home in on? Uh, it's, it's not something I want to home in. I think Dan hit the nail on the head here for this because so many of these horses take a good step forward um, this early in their career, you know, from one run to another. You can see a completely different horse. And Dan's hit the nail on the head where Fasol Vega has had the opportunity to go and do what he's done. Um, and you could probably say the same about American Mike in terms of the redemption day where he actually hasn't. He's been win- winning modest races, I suppose, um, and he hasn't really been put to the test. Now, if he was really put to the test and he would have done what Fasol Vega had done, um, then, you know, he, he would be the short price as well. There's not a chance that Fasol Vega goes off at odds on, I don't think, on the day. These bumper races, they, the bookies try to tend to take on the favourite. They do tend to drift. I remember Envoy Allen was 4-1, to one, I think, on the day at, at one point to win. Uh, so I wouldn't be taking odds on about, about Fasol Vega. When I watched Fasol Vega, I was blown away like everybody else was. It was one of those races that I went back and watched a couple of times, and I was kind of like, was it as good without the commentary on? <laughs> was it was it as good as I thought it was? Um, well, it's better without Jerry's commentary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, bellowing. So, yeah, I don't know. Look, these are all you know the top six or seven have, have obviously got very very bright futures. I, I, I'm a big fan of Mercury, but they did say he wasn't going. So I'm surprised he's been entered because he's a four year old and they've not got the great record. Um, I, I've not got. I've not made a decision on this race. In all honesty. I want to see how the market reacts on the day. But but to answer your question, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know what's going on in my throat today. There's all that <coughs> screaming at the handicapper, I think. Um, 
<laughs> to answer your question, I, I'm not a massive form lines. They don't really bother me too much in this division. I kind of I'm looking with my eyes to, to find an impressive performance, perhaps a clock performance, perhaps something on, along those lines rather than form itself, because the horses can just take that big step forward or, or regress next time. So you, you kind of don't really know what you're dealing with when you've got a limited amount of form. So um, at, at this stage, I think Vassal Vegas is the most likely winner. I don't like the price at all. Um, and I would be waiting waiting on the day. Yeah. One so thing I, I just had about him, if possible, Kate. Um, mm, yeah. It, how much improvement will they have in him as well? I know, mm. I mean, it's a big effort for a young horse, that, isn't it? To be fully, not fully extended, but asked to properly assert in Absolutely. a proper race where they've got a pace. Can he really find six? So his time form rating's already one, two, four. And we've kept the P on just because it felt like the right thing to do, suggesting he can improve again. But one, two, four is a sort of figure that in an ordinary champion bumper would, ha- would have you in the frame. So is he really going to find another six or seven on top of that? It feels a bit yeah. unlikely to me. Redemption Day is £11 behind him. And I think he can make that much up. And if Fasel Vega finds another couple, maybe he'll still see him off. But I, again, I go back to that debut and I haven't been more impressed by just the impression created by a horse in bumpers this season than Redemption Day. What did you What did you make about his action, Dan? Because when, when he was coming down that home straight, I was looking at his action and I, I just thought it was a bit flaily. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it, it's not something that strikes me all that often, that. If, I'm, if, I'm, if a horse is running under vastly different conditions, I might look back. But, I mean, there are plenty of horses whose action isn't, is confounded by the conditions they handle. It's not like every round action horse is, is miles better on on soft ground. I mean, it, it 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 sort of stands to reason that it should make a difference, but it wasn't something that struck me. I was just more struck by the fact that why is this horse still pulling in the final <laughs> furlong <laughs> and um, not having to come under any pressure to to beat an Elliot newcomer that seemed to be quite highly touted itself. What about the likes of American Mike? Do you, sorry to jump in, Kate. What about the likes of American Mike? Do you, these horses that win these bumpers on bridles, on, on the bridle, is that a positive for you? Or, or do you kind of want to see something come off the bridle a little bit like I do and just not have to work too hard, but just kind of... You know where you are more with them. Yeah, think? exactly. Yeah. yeah, definitely something in that. And that's something I noted, noted down the years when you see a lot of Mullins debutants. Going back to like um, Shane's Hill, for instance, and Black Hercules, I think they ran in the bumper together, didn't they? Mm. And you watch their de- their earlier form back and they don't get easy races. There's often an element like we're going to properly teach this horse. That's the concern, isn't it? For Redemption Day canters into this race and then has to come off the bridle for the first time in his life he could run green for long enough to mean that he doesn't win a race that he deserves to. Whereas, you know, Fasal Vega, who's had a proper education there as much as anything, I'm sure he will have learnt loads from being asked to properly extend in a race. I do think there's, def- there's something in that, definitely, Darrow, but sometimes an impression is so deep, isn't it? That you Absolutely. sort of cut out the noise mm. and go, well, at the price, I'm happy to risk that he, yeah. he's, he's completely professional when he comes under pressure. Yeah, that was a really good discussion there between you lads, I thought, basically because... Very often with bumper horses in general, I'm always guilty of wanting to side with experience or people very often side of horses that have just one completely on the bridle there. But actually an angle where you can take into this, as you say, Dan, for you then with Redemption Day, the visual impression he left on you and the fact he could still be improving then and wanting to take that angle forward. So, yeah. which I just find... I mean, it's, it's bad news though, isn't it? It's only this bad news, Kate, that I, <laughs> I know the, the Irish have dominated this race generally, but... Christ Almighty! What 
what would you put as a spread on the highest British finisher? I mean, <laughs> didn't, didn't why, Seth Walsh say there wouldn't be one in the top 10, didn't he? Yeah. They possibly wouldn't. I mean, Kev Blake, remember last year when he, he, he said on ITV that the first five home in the national would be Irish trained. Yeah, and, and, and look <laughs> how that turned out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. And this it is, is a bit concerning, isn't it? Kate, yeah, do you exactly. see, do you, do you ride many horses that when you're riding out and stuff that, that are, are good workhorses on the bridle, but then kind of you, you, I suppose you ask them for a little bit more and they just, there's just nothing there. Absolutely. That, yeah, oh, happens often. all the time. The morning glories are the worst. Oh, they really are. And yeah, the amount of horses I've come up against that, that have made you look an absolute so-and-so um, <laughs> the next day because you put them up and you think, goodness me, this horse. I mean, there, there's a horse at Tom George's where, I thought, this is absolutely gorgeous. The Robin Deschamps, and I thought, this is going to hose up in a bumper. He goes so well, and he's just cruising speed. And I think he's rated about 83 now. <laughs> it's just awful. <laughs> yeah, and, it fascinates me, that. Yeah, I love those tales of horses that people like you, Kate, who've got first-hand experience of, who I'd love a list of the top five from each of the best yards around, like which of the five horses who you thought were monsters and turned yeah. out to be nothing. Who would be uh, your – have you got any in mind? It, honestly, it was embarrassing how many. The best work was at Tom's was um, Valser de Granval, who was, uh, oh, yeah. bless his heart. He just, no. Simon Clarkhouse, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, and then went to, sold to our secretary. He was the best work was, and it absolutely, yeah, no, that was uh, that didn't go well because he had too much of a brain in his head. Yeah, so there, there would be a few. Uh, Philip Hobbs, it wasn't too bad. To be fair, you got a pretty good gauge on what was good there. Um, but Tom's, oh, don't even bother. Don't even bother with what he thinks a good workhorse there because it will let you down. <laughs> and the horse that is absolutely off the bridle since we'll go, will go and surprise you. It's Honestly, it makes fools out of you, this game. Absolute fools out of you. But yeah, don't come to me for a bumper horse, whatever you do. Um, but Dan has come up with a question, though. Before we go on to our next two races, after we've covered the triumph of the champion bumper, Dan's come up with a question, though, for us, which, again, Look forward to see you all answering this one. And the question is, Burning Victory capitalised on Goshen's fall to win the Triumph Hurdle in 2020. But who was the last mayor before Burning Victory to win the race? I say about Cider Burley getting enough mentions on this show. Goshen has surely had more than anyone on this show. How does he keep reappearing in everything? <laughs> I thought the end of his that question was going to be, but which race does she run in so he could have a bet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's more to the point, Dan. Yeah, answer that one for us, please. So, yeah, I'll be answering that question then at the end of the show. So we'll move on to the cross-country next. Love this race. Absolutely mad. Three mile six. Jumping everything and anything you can imagine. The betting reads as follows. Tiger Old, the current market leader at seven to four. Delta Work at five to one. Prengard at six to one. Easy's Land at eight to one. Shady Operator eight to one. Brahma Ball at 10 to one. Rather a jockey than me riding him over those. Midnight Maestro also at 10 to one. And it's 12 to one bar. So Daryl, could Tiger Old do it? Could he potentially, potentially sign off on a brilliant high? I hope so. I'd bring the house down if, if he did. Mm. It, it really would. It'd be, it'd be the story of the year, let alone the festival. Um, yeah, I, I don't see why not, really. I, I know the the uh, the big talking horse was, was Prengard, but uh, do you know what? Do you know what? I don't know if you can tell me this, but why on earth did they run a three mile six cross country chaser in a two mile hurdle as a prep? How on earth does that prep the horse? But mm. have you got any answers? Uh, I think um, I have a feeling. Um, what was that horse trait? There was an Irish horse. Um, 
It had sleep in the name. No, a new story it was. A new story it did not have sleep in the name. I'm pretty sure he had that prep before winning a big prize in a cross-country race. Michael Hurrigan trained him back in the day. But yeah, I mean, I suppose it's just a means to an end. Ted Walsh has often talked about how Papillon and some of, and Seabass were tuned up over two miles for Grand Nationals, hasn't he? Yeah, strange. I just yeah. thought it's so strange. He was towed off at the back of the screen, wasn't he? Yeah. Say, the only, I mean, Dan makes a very fair point there about potential looking ahead to the race. But I mean, just from my perspective, Tiger Roll, you know, is an authorised. He's got a, a, an incredible brain in his head. I'd say he'd nearly talk to you, wouldn't he? Hence why he gets on so well over the, the, um, over the spruce end around Aintree. But I'd say it's just to keep him away from regulation fences, sweeten him up over something easier, not give him a hard time. But that was really my only angle is just to give him something different. Yeah, that's right. Um, I, no, I, I honestly haven't got a bet in this. I've, I've actually, I've actually got a couple of bets in the fox hunters, which we'll talk about in a minute. But um, <laughs> I would that. love to see, I would love to see Tiger Roll uh, win this. Um, I was supposed to be working the festival this year, but I've decided not to take the time off, and I'm actually going to go down to watch him because I think he would literally bring the house down if if, if he yeah. won. I, I hope he does. A few of these have not been over the. Uh, over cross-country fences at all, let alone the Cheltenham fences. He's got to face this Prangard. He's Delta Works interested in here. Um, but, my God, he can, he can make a mistake or two. And uh, I wouldn't want wouldn't trust him to, to get round. Uh, Easy's Land is is obviously the other interesting candidate. Since he's moved to John Joe O'Neill, he's pulled up in his last two visits, uh, uh, last two race course appearances, which have come over hurdles. But uh, he's not one I'd just be writing off. He's, he looks at quite a big price at eight to one, considering you know the performance he put in. Uh, mm. Two years ago, this is this is a good race. It is a good race, but it's a it's a good race from a from a, a viewer's spectacle rather than a than a betting proposition for me. Uh, I'll be cheering on Tiger Roll. I, I wouldn't. I'm not going to have a bet against him. That's for sure. Um, and I'll probably get a bit brave on the day and probably back him. But uh, I, I hope he I hope he does the business. Yeah, I, I'm in complete agreement. Like you say, more so than betting, this is more of a story than for me with yeah. Tiger Roll. But Dan, to you, for a betting angle in here, I mean, in terms of we have horses in here with plenty of experience over cross-country fences. We have those that we don't know how they're going to take to it. What kind of angle do you take into the race? Well, yeah, we have a lot of those sort of mid to high 130s performers like of Diesel Dallier and Potter's Corner. But this is this tends to be a grade or two above, doesn't it? As, a, as the last two renewals have proven, there's only one horse I could back in it. I may do it. It's easy to land at eight to one. I mean, he's basically got the same profile as Tiger O, really. If Tiger O pulls up in a hurdle race, nobody bats an eyelid. Easy's land does it, and people are writing him off now. He's had two runs for John Joe. No idea why there was a stable change, and I don't know if he's got physical problems or something, but he's still only an eight-year-old. He was made even money to beat Tiger O last year, and he definitely didn't show his form. He got way too far back. He was a brilliant winner of this, I thought. I mean, an absolutely brilliant winner in 2020. Destroyed them, won by a mile, clocked a massive time form figure. It was in the 160s, which you just don't often see for this sort of race. And he's now 8-1 to one on the back of two quick-fire hurdles runs. Look, there was no promise in them. But is he really a hurdler? Probably not. The latest one was over 19 furlongs in a proper race at Ascot. The first one was Sandown off nearly a year off. Um, the, the niggle is the fact that when he won the race, he was thriving on his racing and they were running him fairly regularly. He's had a fair few absences in recent times, but he's had two quick runs this season to put him spot on. And as I say, he's he's got the same profile as Tiger Roll and, he, and he's won all in their private battles and he gave him a proper uh, hammer in that first time. So mm. I think he's the only animal I could part with any cash with and just hope that John Joe can get him back. He is still only an eight-year-old after all. 
Yeah, we town. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you say like we're, we're fair being one all, then seven to four to eight to one, then for Easyland, we know those two races weren't going to play to his favour then on this stable switch. But it is just that doubt, isn't it? Why you can understand he's the price he is because it's t- tricky to know exactly where we are with him, but this is his domain. So Easyland at eight to one looks a very fair price. So we'll move on then to our final race that we're going to be discussing. This is the St. James's Place Festival Challenge Cup Open Hunters Chase. Over the same course and distance as the Gold Cup the race prior, but for the amateurs and their hunter chases, the betting reads as follows. Billaway is the 11-4 favourite. Wing Leader at 5-1, to one, Bob & Co at 7-1, to one, Dubai Quest at 12-1, to one, Highway Jewel 12-1, to one, Jess after being overturned at 8-15 to 15 on Sunday as a 12-1 to one shot, and then there are a whole other horses at 12-1 to one as well. So, muddling market, understandably so. So, Daryl, Hunter Chases, races you enjoy solving, apparently. Yeah, I do. I, I like this. Um, the, the reason I like them is because no one gives a toss about them. So, <laughs> They're still in the Guinness village. <laughs> do, do not say that to that very precious point-to-point community on Twitter. You'll be strung up. Right. I'll take it back. What I mean is is that there, I think there's loads of you can get loads of value in these sort of races because this is not at the forefront of everybody's mind. So if you can find sort of an angle into one of these races, you're going to get good odds about, about certain horses. For example, Dubai Quest is a 12 to 1 chance in here. He's won his last seven, beat a solid yardstick in, in LeBroy last time, giving him nine pounds, inclusive uh, of the jockey that was claiming off LeBroy. He beat a horse called Omar Moretti two years ago, um, who's won four of his next five starts and is very much on the upgrade at the moment under rules. And he's rated 137. He's done it on sharp tracks. He's done it on stiff tracks. There's loads to like about him. He's progressive. He uh, he'll stay all day. He's a he's a twelve to one shot. Uh, there's not often you're going to get horses that have won their last seven races that are twelve to one. You know, in a field where he's taken on, you know, a lot of ugh, next to nothing really. Um, but I, I think he's got a big chance. Look, I'm a huge fan of Billaway. I have been. I mean, he's cost me a fortune the last couple of years <laughs> in this race. Two years ago, Patrick rode him too far back and uh, gave him too much to do. And then last year, I thought he uh, he was too handy with him. <laughs> so uh, he's a horse that I like. A cheek piece have gone on Billaway. He's got more to come um, and he's still improving. But I just think at 11-4, you know, Everyone knows about Bill Away, don't they? You know what you're going to get with him. Um, yeah. So, so I'm quite happy to take him on. I think we, if you like wing leader at five to one, you have to like rewrite the rules at two hundred to one. You, you, you simply do because this horse was this horse wasn't beaten far uh, by wing leader, um, coming from well off the pace to finish third behind him, giving him three pounds, beating four lengths. You know, going back a little bit. You know, so wing leader may well have improved quite substantially, but. Um, this is a horse that, that, that shouldn't be written off, is uh, rewrite the rules. He, he travelled really, really nicely, actually, at Aintree in the Fox Hunters there. And uh, he just he just makes too many mistakes for those national fences. Um, but but in my opinion, no horse should be should be 200 to 1, really. Uh, so, you know, you, you can make sort of claims of him at 200 to 1. But Dubai Quest and Highway Jewel was the other. They're both 12 to 1 shots. Highway Jewel, she's a gutsy little mare. She can jump slightly out to the right. But um, it, it didn't stop her winning at Cheltenham at last April. She's won seven of our last eight. Touched off by three quarters of a length by a uh, uh, late night pass. But she'll undoubtedly confirm that form, I, I, would, I would think. Uh, she's just improving all the time. And she she stays so, so well. Um, those would be my two against the field. I've, I've had a couple of quid on rewrite the rules at 200 to one. But like, 
you know, you're in fantasy land a little bit there, Daryl. But um, Highway Jewel and Dubai Quest, two 12 to one chances. Uh, they're going here. Um, I think they've got great shouts. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I'm fascinated by the 200 to one out current outsider of the field there, though, with re- rewrite the rules there with his intertwining form lines with, uh, with a few far more prominent in the market. They say, Yeah, Daryl, I didn't expect you to have those opinions on a hunt chase now. I'm yeah. not going to lie. <laughs> I love so, Dan, it. Yeah, I mean, do you have anything similar for us? <laughs> I, I'll be quick, but there's a, it's a little consequence anyway. But I thought, Daryl just mentioned late night pass. Shaped like the best horse in the race last year. I just thought he went too hard. And he's a relative youngster, but I, I have read um, on our internal database in literally the half hour before we came on here that the plan is to skip Cheltenham and go straight for Aintree, which is understandable because he was second in the Fox until last year. He's a very bold jumper, enthusiastic horse. Was at Warwick that day when he did um, beat Highway Jewel. I mean, he's got a lot of ability, I think, but yeah, evidently one for Aintree. And hopefully they'll be planning, I'm guessing they'll be planning that. Have, they hope that a few of them have left the race behind at Cheltenham and he can catch some fresh first time out at Aintree. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's uh, Dan's end opinion on the Hunter Chase. I, I'm just going to throw my own thoughts into the mix just for the crack uh, with Bob and Co to give David Maxwell his long-awaited <laughs> Cheltenham Festival winner. He's got a solid profile for the race, Bob and Co. Only one run coming into the race then. That's a notable positive for this race over the years. So, And, and Maxwell, just he's riding out of his skin at the minute. So if he continues that form into the festival, then... All hail Maxwell, and and I will be yeah I will be bang there to cheer him in in the winners enclosure as well. So hopefully that will happen. So that is everything from us from this week with this very eclectic mix of four races. Last uh, next week even is our final show before the festival with most of the races now covered by us in this show. So. We thought we'd have some fun on the final show as you'll all be sick to death of Cheltenham previews by then anyway. So instead, next week, we want your questions ahead of the festival. So please do get in touch with us with any questions you may have for any of the team. We'll do our best to answer them. Along with that, we'll also be getting everyone's naps and best bets of the week. Now, Dan, I need I'm to hope- get back to the... Yeah, for, ask a question for the final time, Kate, because yeah. it's everybody else's job in future. Exactly. Um, I was going to say, this is the fi- your final question now, so everyone <laughs> else is going to have to deal with it. So Dan's question, just to remind you, was Burning Victory capitalised on Goshen's fall to win the Triumph Hurdle in 2020. Who was the last mayor before Burning Victory to win the race? It was Snowdrop in 2000. Good question again, Dan. So if you can beat Dan... I should have said <laughs> Philly. I feel bad there. <laughs> I feel bad. I'm sure they won't be offended. I'm sure they'll get over it. At least you've got the right gender anyway, so well done for that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Dan's done very well with the questions over the weeks. He's now handing the baton over to the listeners and for your questions for next week. So please do get in touch with those. And thanks again to all of the team for all of their hard work again this week. Thank you for listening. And as a reminder that Betfair have asked me to uh, promote, just because there was a bit of confusion last week, to grow your Cheltenham Raw offer is both on the exchange and the sports book. And all you need to do is hit that £20 threshold in the seven days from Monday to Sunday to qualify for a £10 free bet for Cheltenham. You can track your progress on the website too if you click on the Grow Your Cheltenham Raw banner. Right, I think that's every box ticks now for my wrap-up. Hopefully, Racing Only Better is out on Friday. Wade is on Monday. Please do remember to gamble responsibly and we shall speak to you again next week. <laughs>